0: Kirsty,
1: and i'm kelsey
0: and it's time to hate watch with us and this week we are returning to what has been a multi-part series that we're calling rom-com education wherein kelsey is going to teach me how to watch rom-coms everyone's I favorite am. genre she's done a fantastic job so far and then we are going to follow that conversation with the pilot of a new <laughs> tv show from ABC called Downward Dog. (laughs) And in this discussion, we're also going to introduce a new segment, which I'm really excited about, even though I'm not sure I'm excited about ABC's Life Choices. (laughs) Wow. Uh, So diving back into rom-com education, if you missed the first two parts, there were two previous episodes where we talked about foundational rom-coms, quintessential rom-coms, rom-coms of Kelsey's formative years, and high school rom-coms. And basically, these categories are intended to parse out rom-coms and teach me why each one is important, because I am a rom-com skeptic. So today, we're going to be talking about peak rom-coms and the rom-com Badlands.
1: Get hype. It's a big one, guys. So, Kirstie, I don't know that we've helped your skepticism (laughs) with this past week's homework. (laughs) It's funny, because
0: I was thinking about it. Somewhere in the middle of my second rom-com of the week, I watched three, to be fair, and... You know, the first couple episodes of Rom-Com Education, I sort of felt like I was coming over the top of a little bit of a bell curve, where I was like, yeah, you know, I can understand the value of the genre and, like, what it brings to the cultural narrative, and then you sent me all these, like, scholarly articles about how rom-coms are one of the few forms of narrative structure that has ever given women agency since, like, the novels of the early 1900s. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, feminist agency is cool so I guess I can like figure this one out and then if you're looking at it as a bell curve or like a fucking roller coaster I dropped (laughs) off the face of the goddamn planet this week
1: because he went from 13 going on 30 which is like a gem to some Real questionable choices throughout the rest of your viewing. (laughs) It was a tough
0: week. I texted Kelsey and I was like, you know, this was all well and good when it was conceptual and you were just giving me premises and then giving me things to think about. But now I feel like it's come to a point of a practicum like student teaching or student nursing where I have to like go from the classroom and actually do this in the real world. And it's a lot harder.
1: It is. Good news is that after this week, it'll be all... Hopefully, on the ups again. <laughs> I mean, you are, you were in the badlands. I was,
0: I was in the badlands, and let me tell you, I fucking felt it.
1: All right. So first, we're going to talk about peak rom coms. Peak rom coms kind of came in the early two thousands to like two thousand seven, eight, nine ish. So they had a good run. <laughs> they were like the pinnacle of when. Every studio made, like, seven rom-coms a year, and there was at least one in the theaters at all times. They Some of the things we've talked about before do also belong in this category. Like I mentioned, like, 13 Going on 30 is a great one, but we already talked about it, so it lives where it lives. However, we can start with... Kirsi, do you want to start with the one that you watched that is the only peak rom-com that I haven't seen and am happy I haven't seen?
0: <laughs> yep. I actually get to be the expert here, which makes me feel like this is, like, the capstone <laughs> of my education. Oh! So, I watched Bridget Jones' Diary, which, this happens to me frequently when I look at dates of movies. It was from 2000, and for some reason I thought it was from, like, 1990. So, my cultural timeline is 10 years behind, whatever. Bridget Jones', uh, bleep, Bridget Jones Diary is the movie that if I am not mistaken like made Renee Zellweger famous Mm -hmm. right and this is like a weird movie in terms of cultural references and as we were riffing on a couple episodes ago intertextuality where I have heard so many references to this and like seen several references to this like I know Family Guy has like a scene where they make fun of this movie and yet it was nothing remotely close to what I thought it was going to be. Like, I had a different idea in my brain of what it was. I remember at one point when I was a teenager, I thought it was like an action movie. Oh? Like, uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> That's the <same. laughs> This is what happens when you're not culturally literate, guys. Like, take that as a <laughs> cautionary tale. So anyway, so this movie is about Bridget Jones, Uh, she's British, and Mm -hmm. she is in her like early 30s, or 30 exactly, and she is like living in fear of becoming a spinster. And so the movie opens a New Year's party at her mom's house, and she basically decides that she's going to start keeping a diary, and she's going to start improving herself by losing weight drinking less and not smoking cigarettes and then getting a boyfriend sure sure so the entire movie is like scenes of her being like clumsy and crazy and she's you know a total oddball but then with like these soft breathy like whispery voiceovers saying like faux deep shit about like weight loss and stuff <laughs> And oh, no.
1: shoot!
0: I should have pulled this up ahead of time, but the Netflix description really says it all. So the Netflix description is this clever tale of Bridget Jones' Odyssey from Mister Wright here right now to Mister Wright delivers a glimpse into the inner workings of the female mind.
1: No. Yeah, no. which I have to say,
0: Netflix. If you're out there,
1: I Netflix. I
0: as a woman with a mind. I'm offended. Netflix. Netflix. What did you
1: do? That would be a segment I'm interested in pursuing later. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> sure. What did you do? <laughs> Netflix. So basically the meet cute happens very
0: early on, like in the first scene. She's at this New Year's party at her mom's house. Her mom is ragging on her for like needing to lose weight and be cute. Otherwise she's going to die alone. And then she like meets this really obnoxious, solemn, joyless dude who's wearing a reindeer sweater And Bridget Jones tries to say something cheeky to him about a sweater, and it goes poorly.
1: Is that Colin Firth? Yes. You can always tell a Colin Firth by a sweater. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: um, And so... Like, it goes poorly, she goes back home, and, like, that's when she decides to start keeping a diary um, about her journey to falling in love. And she says something about having a crush on her boss who's, like, a megalomaniac and is, like, obnoxious and rich and, like, owns the company and is an asshole. And then she spends the next several scenes, like, wearing see-through clothes and mini skirts to work to get his attention and then they start hooking up and then believe it or not over the course of like four hours the relationship doesn't go well repeatedly until she finds out he's cheating on her and then somehow she crosses paths with Colin Firth again and he's like oh by the way I like you because like the repeating thing is she keeps running into him at parties and they have awkward conversation and then he's like no wait I really like you and then he and what's his face have a fight And then eventually, I think maybe she gets with Colin Firth, but I tried to watch the ending twice and fell asleep both times. And one time was in the morning before I had to go to work. You did your best. I did my best. Like, that is how hard this movie is. I fell asleep while getting ready for work, which I thought was a foolproof way to get through the end of this movie. That's tough. So yeah, that's like the really broad overview of Bridget Jones' Diary.
1: Well, thank you for informing me that I was right in never watching it.
0: Yeah, this was one that I was always like, even though I felt like there was a part of the culture I was missing out on, I felt superior for having not seen it. And what I came to realize is I was superior for having not seen it and I wasn't missing out on the culture. <laughs> the only yeah. interesting thing that came out of watching this movie is my husband was with me in the opening scene. And so Bridget Jones and Colin Firth start talking and he goes, "Is this the meet cute?" And I was like, "No." And he kept saying like, "Is this the meet cute?" And I was like, "No, it's not." We're not far enough into the movie from the description. I was guessing she was going to date a bunch of people before she got to the right person. But as it turns out, he was right and that was the meat cute. So, wow. good job, babe. Proud of you. Good job.
1: <laughs> Long time listener. <laughs> First time kudos. <laughs> Shouts. So, a theme that I notice across a lot of these peak rom com and actually Badlands sometimes too, besides Hugh Grant, is <laughs> people, quote, accidentally falling in love yeah. or falling in love with realizing they're in love with someone who, who they've like been friends with for a long time or they've known for a long time. Yeah, it's like the person
0: right in front of you all along.
1: Yeah, that's like pretty much the theme that comes up over and over and over again, which is interesting. Some of the other peak rom-coms, and we will post a very full list on our Tumblr, hatewatchwithus.tumblr.com. So we're not going to get to everything today because there's a lot, but it'll all be there, so check it out. Some of the other... Quick hits. In 2001 and 2002, J-Lo <laughs> had back-to-back movies, one of which she played dress-up as a wedding planner, and the next she played dress-up as a hotel maid, who, and in our description, we are going to say she falls for Baltimore. <laughs> it's Ray Fiennes, but they're all the same. There's another movie that Kirstie watched, featuring Hugh Grant, shocker. Two Weeks Notice... That came up in 2002. This one also stars Sandra Bullock and she's an environmental lawyer who decides to work for Hugh Grant who's this like billionaire real estate guy in exchange for him saving a community center that she cares about which is why I would take a job. And <laughs> it turns out that he just like constantly needs like life advice and is mostly yep. useless. Besides having a great automati- automated tie closet.
0: Yeah, he has the best closet ever.
1: He really does. That's the biggest redeeming quality here. So eventually she gets fed up with his neediness. She gives her two weeks notice. Hint. <laughs> and then they both kind of regret it over time. And then eventually romantical things happen. So Kirsty, what did you think about this movie? It, it was fine. I mean, this was...
0: I think I was watching this at the time that I texted you the practicum joke. And this was the third one that I watched. So I watched Bridget Jones' Diary on Thursday into Friday. And then today I watched Two Weeks Notice and The Breakup, which we'll get to later. So this was the third one. So I was, like, kind of riding that struggle bus, like, straight into the heart of Strug City.
1: Yeah.
0: I think it was easier to, like, I watched it at a good time coming off of The Breakup because it's better than The Breakup, but only just.
1: Only it's in the sense like, that it's,
0: like, kind of fun.
1: Yeah. It's mostly average. It's, it's very, very average. a very average, like, medium budget, yep. peak rom-com rom-com.
0: Also, I feel like Hugh Grant was getting a little tired. He must have been getting some wicked career burnout at that point, because he'd been in, like, 10 million of these
1: movies. I mean, can't stop, won't stop. Yeah, true that. He made his money. Get you Hugh Grant who can do both. Literally (laughs) (laughs) 7,000 rom-coms.
0: He's just like, like, I know there's a lot of actors and actresses in and out of these movies who, like, did a lot in a short period of time, but I feel like Hugh
1: Grant was, like, prolific during this time. He, like, found what he was good at and stuck to it forever. I think he did get sillier over time, though. It also kind of felt like from watching two weeks
0: notice that he has a little bit of a type playing the arrogant rich guy
1: oh yeah is that is that the only thing in his wheelhouse i mean i think he plays it very close to his real life persona <laughs> so, shots fired <laughs> just just gonna say it. <laughs> so some other hits that are more truly dear to our hearts from the peak rom-com era uh My Big Fat Greek Wedding and Under the Tuscan Sun are both kind of like middle-aged or like 30 something I guess in the case of My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Like more grown up. Yeah more grown up they're a little more earnest and sweet. Those are good ones that you should check out for realsies if you haven't.
0: My teenage years were pretty much defined by My Big Fat Greek Wedding and the proposal in My Big Fat Greek Wedding is the only proposal that I Have ever wanted or would ever be okay with in real life?
1: You wouldn't be okay with the kitchen proposal? Did you hear my voice Uh, just wobble a little? I did. did. Okay, fair enough. You got me there. Let's not talk about the kitchen. It makes us cry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's the second time that it's come up in those terms, and our listeners must just think that, like, (laughs) like trigger warning. It's a kitchen.
1: (laughs) <laughs> like, we'll our HGTV about segments
0: are just going to be full of trigger warning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a very specific look. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, <laughs> moving on to one that you may have some questions about, Kirstie. Let's talk about 27 Dresses. Yes, please. So,
0: I understand the concept of this movie because it's in the title, right? Always the Bridesmaid, Never the Bride. Right. And... I can't put my finger on it. I can't explain why. I have nothing concrete to point to. But this feels like a movie that has been sitting in, like, some obscure corner of the universe taunting me ever since it came out. Really? I feel like it's been hovering over me for years, just, like, waiting for me to watch it. Like, daring me to watch it.
1: I mean... It's not like it's
0: heavily referenced. It's not like it, It like, matters to, like, culture. Right, I, but it like it seems to crop up at weird times. Like Netflix had it for a little while and was like pushing it on me so hard, and like I knew other people who really liked it, and it was at their house. Like I, it, you know, it's like my weird like stalker. It's like the grim.
1: Yeah, and there's a there's a few people who we respect in the world who really do love this movie, mm-hmm. so it comes up there as well. Yeah, this was like the first, the intro of Catherine Heigl into her reign in the rom sphere. And also features James Marsden, which is not bad to look at, so if you do want to watch this movie, it's not all (laughs) worthless. So yeah, you're right. This is about always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Basically, she's been a bridesmaid in a million weddings, uh, and she meets this guy who's, like, secretly a reporter, uh, and he decides to write a story on her. What is it with these movies where, like,
0: someone decides to write personal interest stories about, like, women and their trouble getting married?
1: I mean... That's not a question for me. Like, fuck <laughs> That's that. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> That's such a bizarre plot to recycle, anyway it is but it's an easy plot to recycle it's a lazy plot there's lots of lazy plots that these movies recycle why this one because work being a journalist is like still considered sexy in 2005 be a journalist that's fine but like why why is the
0: only human interest story these people are able to drum up about women who can't get married
1: because it's triggering for the women who can't get married <laughs> it creates drama it builds Ugh. conflict my bomb so she um her sister is getting married as well and she's in that wedding and then everything sort of escalates and they don't get along eventually she does end up marrying this guy at the end of it once she realizes that he's written a creepy story about her and forgives him for it the best part of this movie there is a good karaoke scene to benny and the jets (laughs) there's always a good musical number in every rom-com like we've discussed but there is some really effective use of montage with bad bridesmaid dresses so that i would recommend maybe just youtubing and hoping it's on there and at the very end which the very end is what gets me the most is that they are having their happily ever after wedding and then the camera pans out and there's all of the women who she was a bridesmaid for wearing the bridesmaid dresses that she they made her wear all <laughs> up in her wedding that's hilarious and it's, like, funny, but also, like, really? Yeah. Really?
0: That's super funny. So, yeah, I mean, I was funny. going to ask, like, like what the riff was going to... You answered the question, but, like, my question was, what, what was the riff then on her bridesmaids? Like, did she then pick a hideous dress for her bridesmaids? Like,
1: Yeah, they also just... They all just had to wear their own. Gotcha. Which is hilarious. I applaud that. Yeah. It's quite a look, really. <laughs> There's also a good scene where she has to go from, like, one or two different or three different weddings, maybe, all on one night, which is not plausible, but fun for comedy reasons. So there's, like... The biggest reason it's not plausible is because
0: none of those brides ever would have allowed it to happen. They would have eaten each other alive like praying mantises.
1: And so she, like, has this cab that she pays off for the whole night to, like, hold her dresses, and she, like, keeps changing in and out of them and running from back and forth from (laughs) wedding to wedding. All very unrealistic, but it is... Really humorous. The other thing is I just don't think I know 27 people. (laughs) I mean I know. Just full stop like I don't think I know 27 people. Certainly
0: if I do know 27 people I'm not going to all 27 of their weddings let alone in their bridal party.
1: Right. But like
0: I do happen to know a couple of people who are like career wedding goers and bridesmaids. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: even They, I don't think, are hitting 27. I mean, no one can afford that shit. No. I mean, inflation is a thing. Like, this movie came out 10 years ago, so, like, maybe the economy was different. I I mean, the economy was different in 2008, guys. But, like, the average bridesmaid pays, like, $1,000 to participate in a wedding. That's $27,000. That's a down payment on a house. It's a car. Like, it's things that people are not just casually doing.
1: So do you have any lingering questions about 27 Dresses? Do you feel like you know enough? It's
0: exactly what I thought it was.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Recurring theme. Yep. So not too long after that, one of the more recent actual, what I would qualify as a peak rom-com came out called The Proposal. Have you seen The Proposal? What's your familiarity there? I feel like there's something about it that feels familiar
0: as if it were a distant dream. So I can't promise that I've seen it, but, like, I I think
1: there's a chance that I have. So this is also Sandra Bullock all over again. And she is a Canadian executive who basically, like, forces her assistant to marry her to avoid getting deported to Canada. And he lives in Alaska. And so in order to pass, like, all of the questions needed to stay in the country, they decide to go to Alaska to meet his family and basically carry out their wedding so that everything works out. And so the family can say that they know her and everything as well, if they are questioned. So, fun fact, it was not filmed in Alaska. It was filmed just north of Boston. That's the same. Pretending to be Alaska. Yeah, totally the same. (laughs) Very similar landscape. Yeah. Some good songs here include It Takes Two, To Make a Thing Go Right. (laughs) Real gem. Also, a dance to Get Low. Oh, God. With Betty White. Oh, God. So that happened. It's genuinely funny. It's on TV constantly <laughs> for those who are not cable cutters. <laughs> You'll see it at least once a week. In case you it's missed just,
0: it, that was complete shade at me.
1: Because Kirsty complained all the past like forty-eight hours, she's been like, "I can't find any movies." And I casually turned on my TV, and there were like seven of the movies on the list. playing. I was bailed by
0: four different streaming services. It's bullshit.
1: Rom-coms weren't made for streaming services. No fucking they kidding. They were made they for were. that casual cable view. Oh, Lord. So the proposal is genuinely funny. Eventually they do end up together and fall in love and all that jazz even though they weren't really supposed to oscar from the office is in it as a male stripper (laughs) which is a fun treat overall it's it's just pretty solid and it's a good watch i don't have too many things bad to say about it it was never my favorite one but it's grown on me the more times i've watched it on like a saturday morning that's fair. So that's like the highlights from peak rom-coms. Again, go to our Tumblr if you want to learn more or if you want to judge me more. That's fine too. <laughs> so let's dive on into the Badlands. Why don't we? Oh, Lord. So the Badlands are sort of, what did, how do you phrase it, Kirsty?
0: As an endless waste what? of mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's where, where the go mediocre to go to die. And you framed it as the fallout from the peak. Yes. So, like, peak season of rom-coms came and went and left behind the drought of the Badlands.
1: Yeah, so while peak sort of thrived in the early 2000s, the Badlands picked up the back end of Mm -hmm. the 2000s. And it's a real slog in here,
0: guys. Well, and to the point that you made at the beginning, this was during a time where there was at least one of these films in theaters, like, every single month. And often more than one at a time. And, like, you just can't churn out that kind of volume and expect
1: quality. Right. And I think the premises get wonkier. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. It just gets bad. So do you want to talk about your Badlands experience first?
0: Yep. So there's a couple a couple of titles in here that I've definitely seen. But, shocker, I don't really remember them. So I think I've seen 50 First Dates. I'm pretty sure I've seen... Failure to launch, but I could be wrong. And I might have seen part of He's Just Not That Into You, actually. Anyway, the one that I watched the other night was The Breakup, which is Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. And that was a film that happened to me. And it was <laughs> re- like, I was watching this and thinking, like, the whole point of rom coms is that they're supposed to be an easy watch. It's supposed to be something that you can do and like not have an emotional attachment to and not have a reaction to. And it was hard. It was hard to watch. I texted Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And what did I say that I was in a hellscape of heteronormative tropes and maladaptive coping skills?
1: Yeah, you were. It was
0: like, I think this movie is trying to have fun and be silly But the things that this movie was putting forth as being a reflection of someone's life were, like, so painful and borderline dangerous in my mind that I could not loosen up enough to watch it. (laughs) It was, like, stressing me out. So it starts with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn meeting in a stadium and she's dating another guy and Vince Vaughn buys her a hot dog and forces her to take it and then corners her as everyone's leaving the ball game and is like shitting on her boyfriend and trying to force her to date him instead. And that's the cold open. And then it cuts to the credits and you get a fun montage of pictures of them in a relationship. And the film is saying like, they're in a relationship now. So then oh, that's cute. Yeah. It's super cute. Nothing like coercion to start a relationship. Like, you know, that shit's going to go well.
1: So <laughs> that's how both of our relationships start. <laughs> uh. Fuck.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, <sighs> <Lord. laughs> It's like the third fucking time a rom-com trope has burned me in the ass. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs>
1: like
0: coercion. <laughs> it's a little coercion between friends. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, it got too real. Um, so, so Jennifer Aniston is a sophisticated lady, capital S, capital L, which you can Good tell boy. because she wears little black dresses and works in an art gallery and likes to go to the ballet. And Vince Vaughn is not, which you can tell because he has like a working class name and watches sports and like doesn't help with domestic tasks. So basically like they try to have their parents over to meet for the first time because their relationship is serious and Jennifer Aniston has to do all the cooking and cleaning and Vince Vaughn just like watches sports and ruins the entire night. So they have this giant fight. She breaks up with him and then they have this like hour and a half long fight over who can be more petty about the breakup and ultimately keep the apartment that they share so there's like jealousy contests Uh, Jennifer Aniston starts trying to bring guys by to like make it look like she's dating and then her boss talks her into getting a bikini wax and then she walks around the apartment naked right before bringing someone over to take her on a date so that Vince Vaughn will be like oh you're hot and also someone's gonna have sex with you that's a bummer and basically Uh, uh, Vince Vaughn throws, like, a sex party that starts with strip poker, and then Jennifer Aniston comes home from her jealousy date and sees a bunch of, like, people nakedly making out on the couch. Oh. Yeah. And, I mean, basically, it, like, gets to a point where Jennifer Aniston then tries to reconcile by taking him to a concert he wanted to go to, and he stands her up, and it's the final straw where she's like, you just never cared, you're too selfish, like, you didn't actually ever love me— And then they sell the condo and move out. And then she goes and travels the world for like a year. And then he like gets serious about work and does stuff to make his business better. He like works for a tour company in Chicago and like buys his tour company a boat. And then she comes back and they run into each other on the street and like share knowing glances and tell each other how nice it is to see each other. And then they walk away. And that's the end of the movie. That was worth your time. Yep. It was like, she spends the whole time whining about wanting to fix him and wanting to be like, you know, if I show him how hard his life is without me, then he'll come back to me. And it's like, he's a terrible person. There has no, no argument at any point in this film has been made about why the two of you like each other other than that time he bought you a hot dog.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. I mean, that's, like, the signature of the Badlands, right? Yeah. Yep. Don't do the work. Just accept the premise. It's true. Like,
0: it became very clear at a certain point that in all of these in general, but as you're saying, it's much worse in the Badlands, that, like, the filmmakers are expecting you to walk into the story knowing that these two people are going to be a couple or are a couple. So all of the, like, character development and relationship development, like, that doesn't matter. You already know all this stuff.
1: Right. So let's just run through some of the highlights of, of premises that came out of the Badlands. Yep. Okay? I'm so ready. Are you ready? Boy meets amnesiac, and people think it's cute and <laughs> not weird. Small town girl wins a date with a movie star. Love triangle happens with Living her small town in friend.
0: A lonely world.
1: <laughs> An expert in getting grown men to move out of their parents' house falls for <laughs> one of her clients. A washed-up 80s pop star has a chance to write a song for a pop star in five days and happens to meet an amateur songwriter to help him. Divorcees search for treasure in the Bahamas (laughs) together. Two people meet in Vegas and drunkenly get married and win the jackpot and have to stay together for a certain amount of time to keep the winnings evenly (laughs) in divorce. High-power New Yorkers have to join the Witness Protection Program and move to Wyoming, where there are so many jokes about redneck life. (laughs) That's like, um, trial
0: and error. It is like trial and error. NBC's new hit sitcom, Slash Parks and Rec Placebo. Oh. Oh.
1: My favorite one, a woman is an executive and a parent and a wife. Guess what the title of that film is,
0: listeners. We'll give you a second. Are you ready?
1: The title of this film is, I
0: don't know how she does it. Oh my God, get it? Because like, can women have it all? How do women even have it all? I
1: can't think of a more condescending title.
0: Yeah. But it's great because now it like gives us a role model and like a narrative that says that women can have it all. And like, I know this is a question that we all ask ourselves a lot is like, can women really have it all? But like, if she can have it all, then like, we can probably all have it all.
1: I don't want to say that Sarah Jessica Parker is the leading lady of the (laughs) Badlands, but she's (laughs) the leading lady of the Badlands. Oh my god. It's so real.
0: It's so painfully real.
1: Ugh. Another one that's like a, a little more involved of a particular gem is a serial dater who invented the thing that goes around coffee cups when they're hot, <laughs> which they bring up multiple times, uh, realizes that he's in love with his best friend when she gets engaged and asks him to be her maid of honor. Which leads to many, many, many jokes about a man being the maid of honor. And then eventually, he interrupts her Scottish wedding, and they end up together.
0: So that's a treat. So his, so his best friend is the lady, and she yeah. gets engaged to a different guy,
1: and wants... Like, look at those genders get swapped. Yeah, gotcha. So clever.
0: Wait a second. Hold on. I've been trying to make sense of the pun. So it's maid of honor, but M-A-D-E?
1: Yeah, like to say that he's honorable. So... <laughs> What? <laughs> it's not a well-rounded I, title. I'm not going to
0: well I'm not going to lie. I so I haven't checked back into the doc since you had put all of the uh we have a Google Doc with all of the stuff that is eventually going to be put on Tumblr. So I haven't checked in since you put in the episode des- or sh- movie descriptions, but I was assuming that this was going to be like a military thing, like the guy was going to be in the
1: military or some mm-hmm. shit. There are some weird, like, Scottish, like, Highlands things that happen sure. in the process of this wedding, like, days leading up to wedding. Exactly how many bagpipes. Oh, those definitely happen. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, if you flip the genders, the woman should be a brunette. Oh, yeah? <laughs> That's what I gathered <laughs> from this movie. <laughs> because every single one of these movies besides that one is a blonde. Uh, fair enough. Let's go to the, the real jackpot here. Yeah. There were two movies. This is a question. It's a trivia question. If you get it, you can tweet us and we'll reward you with a favor. <laughs> or all of our undying love and affection. Find out. So two movies were released in the same year, within the same month or uh, two months six, of each other. Six months, that I had, And they had exactly the same premise. And- If you can tell me what movies those the are. The male
0: and female lead- are married to each other IRL in separate movies yes. there's they they split the difference yeah. between the two movies
1: we did a really good job of the this. best
0: job ever <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the guessing period is over these movies are friends with benefits and no strings attached
0: can I read you the film descriptions from IMDB please do so for friends with benefits it reads A young man and woman decide to take their friendship to the next level without becoming a couple, but soon discover that adding sex only leads to complications. Okay, keep that in your head. Um, So this Mm -hmm. is now the film description for No Strings Attached. A guy and girl try to keep their relationship strictly physical,
1: but it's not long before they learn that they
0: want something more.
1: I want to see the movie where (laughs) it's a... Investigative documentary about who stole whose work and sold it under a different title. Like, what? It's amazing. So, unfortunately, I've seen both of these movies more than once each. Of course, you have. Friends with Benefits was on TV last night, so I turned it on while I was working on this list, and it was bad. I'm inclined to say that No Strings Attached is slightly hmm. less bad and a little bit more funny. No Strings
0: Attached has better cover art. Like, it looks more more legitimate.
1: Yeah, in general, it's a, it's a better movie to a <laughs> slight degree. I guess the best thing or most interesting thing I can say about Friends with Benefits is that The Grand Gesture is a flash mob to Closing Time by Semisonic. Uh, can I tell you something I just found?
0: That flash mob thing is yeah. is wonderful, by the way. I just found the tagline for No Strings Attached. Tell me, friendship has its benefits. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, does <laughs> it? I think I I take back what I said about wanting the investigative documentary. I want a fully. Blown out rom-com about the friends with benefits who each came up with a story and sold their own versions of it once they realized that their friends with benefits relationship. Oh my work. god,
0: that would be the best movie.
1: Like that's the fanfic I'm here for.
0: If you out there are either a documentarian, a regular old film producer, or a fan fiction writer, please find us at Hate Watch with Us or using our email hatewatchthus at gmail.com because I think that we have a pitch for you.
1: We do. It would really hit those late 2000s millennials. Yeah, nostalgia's in right now, guys. Check out Glenn Weldon's Bell Curve and we'll find the right time to release this. (laughs) Always shouts to Glenn Weldon's Bell Curve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's the, the skim of the bad the badlands. If you want to check out more, go to hatewatchwithus.tumblr.com. Kirstie, do you have any lingering questions about the badlands? I don't think so. Are we ready for me to try to summarize my learning
0: from these two categories? Yeah, I think we are. So at the end of every rom com education unit, I have to try to submit an assessment of learning to Kelsey. So here's here's what I've got from peak rom coms and <laughs> rom com badlands. Good, Good luck. luck. So the story thus far has been like, movies used to be about men and women women falling in love and getting married, and then movies became about men and women falling in love as a vehicle for self-realization, and other relationships were talked about too. Now we're in this place where during peak rom-coms, my feeling is that this was when the format was crafted, and the products that were coming out were profitable, and solid representations of the genre. So, like, there's nothing, mm-hmm. like, other than what we've already talked about as being themes and tropes, there's nothing super new here. There's still, like, funny friends and some stuff about self-love and blah, 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 blah. And, like, some of the format gets wonky, wherein some of these they don't end up together and so on and so forth. But they're all, like, fairly true versions of the genre. Because those were the ones mm-hmm. that were profitable at a time when the genre was important. The movies of the Badlands... Are literally, as we said earlier, the fallout. So, like, the genre was profitable because of the peak films. So studios were just trying to throw spaghetti at the wall and see which one got married. And these ones... These ones didn't. These ones were not good. These ones were were bad ideas. These were These were, like, scraping the bottom of the barrel. They were like, studios be like, we need five more of these movies just get me any old script you can find
1: get me sarah jessica parker stat
0: (laughs) it's like all of the worst things that i ever thought about the genre and thought about like relationships in general i already have a pretty cynical worldview as it turns out so it's like all of the worst things that i thought about people and relationships and representation condensed into poorly written films
1: i'm sorry you had to go through this but I think it's worth it to get you to our next phase. Tell me about phase two, phase five, the next phase. Well, it's all fun from here. Upcoming topics include rom-coms for These Are Modern Times, Mm -hmm. Almost Rom-Coms, TV Rom-Coms, and Bromantic Comedies, which I know you have a soft spot. Yeah, I'm actually excited about all of these genres
0: or categories. All of these categories work for me.
1: And I think I endorse almost all of these movies coming up, so we will not, we, we'll be like hate watching my joy a little it's bit. True. It's
0: true. It's true. We are starting to get into like the zone of, of movies that Kelsey actually holds dear to some extent.
1: We are. I'm really excited for you to watch. And I
0: actually am somewhat knowledgeable about TV rom-coms, guys, so I won't be so floundering. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if there are any films that we haven't talked about, you want us to talk about, or you just want to make sure I watch, since I'm a newborn baby, feel free to tweet those to us at Us or send us information by email, hatewatchwithus at gmail.com, and I will always make an effort to prioritize viewer suggestions.
1: Unless it's on cable.
0: Unless it's on cable, like, in which case, you gotta work with me, guys.
1: (laughs) I'll watch your cable suggestions. (laughs) Thank you. Relationships are all about give and take. <laughs>
0: oh,
1: hey, our relationship started with coercion too.
0: I know that was the part where it got too real, and I shied away from my microphone for a
1: second. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we're only friends because Kirsty made a New Year's resolution. Our to be friendship friend. is a meet cute, rom com moment.
0: Oh. <laughs> We, we met, met online. online.
1: Oh God! <laughs> I—it's one of those things. Everything is a meat cute if you make it that way. <laughs> Anything's only
0: as meat cute as you make it. I like—I mm-hmm. have these moments, and it's—we talked about this with House of Cards. So I feel like this is a thing that's happening to me repeatedly in my life right now, where I watch a thing and I'm like, "This is contrived. This is stupid. This is out of control," and then somehow there's an example in real life so I can no longer question it mm-hmm. like both of our stupid relationships are rom-coms our stupid friendship is
1: a rom-com tell me how that really makes you feel <laughs> <laughs> I think I want you to know that I think you'll feel more comfortable with that statement when we get into rom-coms of these are modern times okay
0: I just don't want to feel manipulated by like the media's version of what my life and my relationship should be like, because like, isn't art just a reflection of life after all And life is just a reflection of art.
1: I think that sounds like a good transition point to talk about something that is not a reflection of life or art.
0: <laughs> not my art, not my problem. <laughs>
1: so We decided to just, crash course, hate watch something today, and you're all in for a treat.
0: So ABC has a new show, and <laughs> the show is, I, I like, I, I, I gotta tell you, right? ABC has a new show in general is a funny thing to say. <laughs> I gotta tell you, listeners, like, we're, I'm gonna be real with you right now. I can't even with the show. I, like, I... Did you hate this show more than The Breakout? I do. I hate this show. I haven't, so we talk a lot on the show about hating stuff, and we talk about, like, hating stuff ironically or loving stuff ironically, so it's not like we ever have pure emotions here, right? Like, there's always an agenda. I haven't felt a pure emotion about a text in a long time. I hate this show. I'm going to shoot straight with (laughs) you. The show is called Downward Dog. The description on IMDb is... A lonely dog navigates the complexity of 21st century relationships. So basically, there's a dog, and a millennial owns it, and she works a job, so she has to work a lot, and the dog is the narrator, and the dog has a lot of feelings about the fact that his owner works a lot. (laughs) That's the show. That's the show, guys. That long pause you heard is because that's the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have a total of five notes on this entire Oh, show. I did take a page. They were mostly Good quotes, for you. though. I couldn't get there. I couldn't get there. Um, but I did write what I was missing in my life was definitely a narrative from the POV of a sassy dog. <laughs> that's what I need. I feel like that's this... That's the content I'm looking
0: this for. This isn't... I mean, part of me feels like people are desperate to find some way to bring new viewpoints, and like, instead of trying to cast fewer white people, they'll
1: just have a dog narrator. And a dog point-of-view camera yep. angle, which was the most, maybe most useless way I've ever yep, seen this story Yeah, cams. But they were like, a poor man's yeah. doggy cam. Like, they weren't even trying that hard, and they were in full color. I just, I don't
0: think they know what to do
1: with the dog. I don't think what anyone on the show knows what they're
0: doing. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I did actually write halfway through the episode. So we only watched the pilot. There's about four episodes that are out currently. And we think it's, it's an eight-episode order, right, at this point? We, we don't yeah. really know what the future of the show is because it's new enough. But I did... I did write halfway oh. through the episode, like, what does this show want me to get out of life?
1: Yeah, I haven't figured that out. I don't know what it's trying to tell me. I also, me. I missed the first whole minute because I was, like, doing stuff on my computer, and the voiceover sounded so much like a commercial that I didn't even yep. know the show it started.
0: Yep, the voiceover is not a good match for a dog. Also, I don't know if it's the script writing or if they gave whoever the voiceover actor is like a lot of leeway but the way that he speaks is like unforgivable he says he says (laughs) like constantly which i think is an attempt to sound organic and you just sound like a dick dude this isn't real conversation we all know this shit is scripted and I hated that her house was too nice. It was, like, too nice, but they were trying to make it look slummy at the same time, so it's, like, really narrow and she has a shitty yeah. yard. The thing that I can't get over, which is going to lead into my spicy hot take on the show, I
1: can't is I,
0: I can't, I couldn't shake the, the fact that the dog is speaking as if the dog thinks that he's a romantic partner. Ooh, ew. Yeah, he kept saying lines about being her partner. Like, he kept using those words and and talking about their time together and, like, Friday nights are their night. And it, I was like,
1: mm. the dog's
0: name is Martin. And I was like, Martin, I can't even with your shit right now. Like, it is so uh. gross. Which ew. leads me to like he's he kept saying he said it on at least three different occasions different comments about having to be the dominant partner with her and then he says the line i'm a creature of love it's because of that love i had to so aggressively dominate her Yep. It, like, on a very real level, I could not hear that and not think that this is somehow not an allegory for an abusive relationship.
1: Oh.
0: Right? I don't, I don't think what it is... spicy s- hot take! It is spicy. What did I say? That it was as spicy as, like, the fire or the hellfire of my hatred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think... That anyone on the writing staff anywhere within ABC is actually has enough human depth to do this on purpose. But for me, there's no other way to hear that line. It's because of that no, love you're... I had to so aggressively dominate her. Like that is legit something a rapist would say.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say like it would be more up ABC's alley to like reveal halfway through that it was like a person who had gotten switched into a dog's body. Oh. Ugh. <laughs> Which is my fear, no kidding.
0: You really can't put anything <laughs> past these people.
1: No, I just don't know where this is going, but I really like your hot take. Yeah.
0: There's also some gems in here, like, her boss is an asshole, and for some reason they all say dope a lot. Like, the first drinking game rule is drink every time they say dope. And I think the whole thing is supposed to be, like, riffing on millennials, but maybe even by millennials. I don't know who the writing team is, but I feel like there's some of that, like, meta shit going on.
1: And- Well, my favorite thing thing is that this show has been, like, in the can for, a, like, a full year now, at least. Mm-hmm. Like, it was supposed to come out in the fall, and it got delayed somehow. Yep. So, one of the jokes was about, like, Kanye West's tweets, <laughs> and, like, I don't think he's <laughs> had a tweet that's been a thing in, like, a full year and a half. I was like, good on that relevant content! Oh my god, that's so funny.
0: That's so funny. I thought that was, like, an interesting reference to pull from, but what I was gonna say is that at one point her boss is, like, telling her that her marketing idea is dumb. She, like, comes in to pitch him a thing. She, like, generically works in marketing.
1: Yeah, it's very unclear what her actual job is or what the company does. Yeah, it seems
0: as though the company does billboards and
1: storefronts. Or are they a clothing company? Um maybe unclear it's, it's extremely <laughs> unclear do your goddamn job writers at ABC
0: <laughs> like clearly no one at ABC has ever been on a job shadow Ugh. but like at one point she's like doing a regular like pitch for like a, a whole like marketing concept and then next thing you know she's building a diorama I, it's, right. uh-huh.
1: which is what you do so
0: she pitches this idea to her boss that the company should make people feel good about themselves and that the general message should be that everybody's beautiful and he tells her it's a bad idea and then he goes don't make me mansplain to you i I like i was like are you fucking kidding me
1: it's a little heavy-handed don't you think
0: (laughs) Uh, And then, like, at one point, she takes the dog to obedience training because he keeps fucking up the house because he has to aggressively dominate her to show his love. And the trainer is, like, throwing her shade and calls on someone to tell her what's wrong with the situation. And this millennial chick with, like, you know, dyed gray hair says, maybe she's so focused on the dog she can't even see her own dysfunction. Like,
1: gross. All of you. Ugh. Ugh. And I think, like, I foresee it going down some treacherous paths with the fact that, like, she's a very normal body shape and not a TV body shape. Like, that's, that's not gonna not come up.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's, that's what they're angling
1: for with this whole,
0: we should teach our customers to all think that they're beautiful thing.
1: Right. So, as if also as if that's an original idea. Yeah. Right.
0: Chick from this show. Chick from the show. Like, I'm sorry. Have you seen a Dove billboard
1: since 2010? The only redeeming thing that I got from the show was the subplot about hating the cat because I really (laughs) hate.
0: Yeah, the dog. And I support
1: any narrative against cats. (laughs) And I especially hate feral cats. We have a few in my neighborhood, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> Side note, I, really I will cats. say
0: the only thing that this show did that was like borderline clever is as the credits are rolling there's like this weird cut to like this demon cat who's talking about how Dan who's the owner never actually loved him and then the dog wakes up on the couch and is like that damn cat. <laughs> like, that's like almost clever.
1: Almost. One
0: important thing to know is that they have the dog sit in front of the camera, like, as if they're doing a talking head, and the dog's mouth is CGI'd to move as if it's talking, Ooh. and I swear to God, they also CGI'd the dog's eyes.
1: Ooh, I'm gonna have to look, look for, for that. Look for it, because
0: it's creepy as fuck. It looks like the dog has glass eyes.
1: Like, why aren't we okay with it just being the dog's thoughts? right why does his mouth also have to move like a human show the
0: dog doing some interesting stuff and then make it seem like the dog is thinking there's plenty of models for this i mean homeward bound is three animals the entire movie and they are chatty as fuck and their mouths were never cgi'd
1: we didn't ask for it and we don't need it milo and
0: otis they talk to each other all the time their mouths weren't cgi'd also, ABC Ugh. never seems to up their budget for CGI, and it's like, look, ABC, you have a lot of shows with a lot of different budgets, and you use a, like, a fuckload of CGI. Invest or give up. Like, drop the game if you're not gonna invest. I'm yeah. sick of your half Did you also CGI. see
1: the preview... What? You may not have seen the same preview that I did, but I saw a preview for a summer reality series called Battle of the Network Stars. Oh, Lord. Just P.S. I'm so scared. Heads up for Watch. I'm terrified. Yeah. It was
0: one of those things where, like, we had this one class in college called business of media and the professor did what she called a network simulation where we had to create pitch packages and come up with like a couple of shows. And then like the class, it was our favorite class. Of it was all time. so great. The class would then pretend to be like network executives and you'd have to like make decisions about what, what's whatever. And we were all assigned to different networks and we would use the current ratings for each network and you know, so on and so forth. And this, this show Reminded me so intensely of that period of time because this honestly could have been one of those pitches. Oh yeah, right, a
1: hundred percent. Yeah, and it's just as like not really thought out, and there's not a lot of stuff to gather from it besides that it's a dog that talks to its owner about its owner.
0: Right, like the dog is obsessed and says outright that he is obsessed with his owner, which like plays into my allegory
1: theory. There's zero subplot. There's zero subplot. Besides the cat. The cat story is the subplot. I mean,
0: I guess theoretically, like, her job success is the subplot. Because, like, my assumption from the name Downward Dog is that, like, he is going to be, like, mapping what I'm assuming is going to be, like, a very tumultuous time in her career. Because she, you know, the, the graphic designer, for some reason, from the New York office has decided to move ahead with the pitch that she eventually comes to because the dog breaks her diorama. And so then she goes back to her original idea of, like, everyone's beautiful. She was like, what if the Mm -hmm. storefronts were all mirrors with big font? And so the graphic designer from the New York office gets to make this decision, I guess. And so he likes her pitch better. So her boss is like, it means you're working nights and weekends for the next year. It's also somewhat introduced that she has a shitty ex-relationship is yeah. bad at making life choices and so i'm assuming the dog is going to
1: be like charting her decline in these life choices right and like even that table where she makes a pitch mm-hmm. they're not even very good at telling a story of who is sitting at that table because one of them is the friend supposedly peer that they had just broken into the boss's office with the night prior to like get, get oh right and creep on so like what is she doing at the table and is she a stakeholder and what does that mean for the relationship between the boss and everyone else and like well right clear it's just a person that we could put at this table
0: right and this friend the night before when she helps her break into the boss's office to drink his alcohol is telling her like just sell out and play the game until you get to a high enough level that you can do what you actually want to do because she has this philosophy that the company should, like, make people feel good, but her boss likes naked chicks, which they, right. like, really lean on. So her friend is like, you know, just play the game. But then her friend is at the table for this pitch, and they, they pan to her face, and she's got this, like, glowing, like, look of admiration as she, like, doe-eyes her friend who's just done this successful pitch. And it's like, weren't you the one just giving the opposite advice the night before? Right. So, yeah, you're right. It's, there, there's... Almost no story that they are successful at telling in this episode.
1: (laughs) Literally zero stories.
0: Literally zero. Her, like, ex... She drunkenly calls her ex-boyfriend to come get his motorcycle, and then he comes over the next day, and she's like, take my dog so I can work. And so he goes to the park with the dog, and sometimes the dog plays with him, and sometimes the dog doesn't, and the dog is delivering this monologue about how he doesn't like the guy, but he respects him or he likes him, but doesn't respect him. Something like that. And then the guy brings back frozen pizza and wants to hang out. And she's like, no, we can't because we'll know how this goes. And then they have sex.
1: Yeah. Like what
0: is any of this? It's a millennial nightmare. It is a millennial nightmare. The last thing I, I also was pitching other than it being an allegory for an abusive relationship is that it might be an allegory for helicopter parenting.
1: Ooh.
0: That one they're definitely not planning on, but I definitely see it. <laughs> I can't remember what he said that made me write that down, but the dog said something, and I was like, one of you is a helicopter parent here. Yeah, I really like that. Especially because it's so millennial heavy. So we are going to stay plugged in with this show, which is probably not one of our wiser choices, but we're going to do it. And so to stay engaged, we are introducing a new segment that we are calling Hate Watch Knitting Circle. So as we talked about last episode, we like to knit while watching TV and various other things. And as much as this show is terrible, it, it is a good knitting show, right? Because like, it sucks and you don't have to pay attention to it. It'll while away the time. And there's a lot to hate. So how this is going to play out, we will probably not check in on this show every, every week that it airs, but we will at some point in the season check back in and do another segment on the podcast about it. In the meantime, Kelsey and I have set aside a project that we are saving just for the show. So I'm working on a scarf that I will probably only be knitting during the show. And Kelsey, have you decided what you're doing yet? Um, I'm
1: working on a baby sweater.
0: Throughout the airing of the show, be on the lookout on Twitter and Tumblr for project updates and episode updates. If you have a project that you're also working on or you would like to pick up a project during this show's run, please do and please tweet us at Hate Watch with Us because we'd love to see what you're working on. And I think it is going to help me hate this show less.
1: Until she starts knitting and does it wrong. <laughs> and then we have to complain about that too. She seems like the type. <laughs> <laughs> wait, Kirsty, you didn't give our listeners the greatest treat of all.
0: Oh, this show has a variety of reviews on IMDb. It scored surprisingly high on IMDb. Who reviews on
1: IMDb, though?
0: I don't know. Someone, clearly. But my favorite review, which is also the only review I can see which, like, makes the whole thing better... Is approximately like 15 stars, which I didn't even know was possible. The title of the review is, Watch a Great Show, and the review goes like this, I am at a loss to understand the other reviews on this site. I feel my taste is pretty mainstream. I really strive to see others points of view when it comes to TV shows, movies, restaurants, etc. But for the life of me, I do not get the negativity. I was literally blown away by the show and cannot wait for more. But if these reviews are any indication, this show is not hitting with mainstream TV watchers. What am I seeing that no one else is? Things that others found irritating and unwatchable are the exact things I loved. The dog's manner of speaking, their relationship, etc. People are saying that the pilot was not funny. I don't think it was meant to be. I found it touching and sweet and a little sad, but eminently watchable. Loved it, but if these reviews are any indication, it doesn't stand a chance. Addition, two weeks later. I was so puzzled by some of the reviews on here, mostly negative, that I took the time to actually vet some of these posters. I find it very odd and highly suspicious that some people created accounts just to badmouth this show. Others have never posted before, and their first post in 10 years is a slam against this show. I am just astonished that this amazing show, parentheses, check out Rotten Tomatoes and other respected media rating sites for their very positive reviews, has brought out the trolls on my once-beloved IMDb. (laughs) 31 of 42 people found this review helpful.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.
0: Oh, that's Yikes. So that's what we're dealing with. That's folks. what we're dealing with. That's what our friends at ABC gave to
1: us this spring. Oh, ABC, why did you do that? Why would you do that?
0: But please <laughs> join our knitting circle. Send us your projects. Let us know what you're working on
1: and let us know what you think of the show. And next week. Uh, I'm not sure what we'll be talking about, so never mind, but I'm sure it'll be great. Oh, (laughs) next week, we are going
0: to be doing a battle royale
1: (laughs) that Kelsey has been waiting to do for
0: weeks. Lots of fun stuff lined up. Until next time. Thanks for
1: listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. The Property Brothers do so much good for this world.